Welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. This is Sid Valley Radio. This week on the Old Time Radio Hour, we'll be listening to a half-hour comedy, followed by a 30-minute western. So, just sit back and relax as we revisit the truly golden age of radio. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Although our Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High, her problems, like those of any other teacher, aren't always confined to purely scholastic ones. There's Mr. Philip Boynton, for instance, a biology teacher of whom Miss Brooks is extremely fond. And who, in return, lavishes his affection upon his frogs and guinea pigs. <laughs> there have been other problems, too. A perfect example of what I'm talking about occurred last Sunday. A grand illustration of what can happen when you let a little softness of the heart spread to your head. The day started off innocently enough when my landlady, Mrs. Davis, knocked on my door around 9.30 in the morning. Connie! Oh, Connie! Oh, come on in, Mrs. Davis. I don't like to disturb you like this on Sunday. Oh, that's all right, Mrs. Davis. I've been up. Since when? Since you said, Connie, oh, Connie, get up, Connie. It's 9.30. (laughs) Well, I got your note to wake you, dear. I'm glad you did, Mrs. Davis. I've got to do a little checking today on one of my pupils who's been absent all week, Eddie Garson. But, Connie, today's Sunday. I know, Mrs. Davis, but... Eddie's always had such a good record of attendance. I just can't understand it. His mother hasn't answered any of my notes, and by tomorrow, Mr. Conklin will send a truant officer after him. I'm going over to his house today and investigate. It's very nice of you to take such an interest in the boy, Connie. Well, I feel it's my duty to go to Eddie's home, Mrs. Davis. He's always been a good student, well-behaved, with a fine character, and he lives four doors from Mr. Boynton. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I see... Connie, did Mr. Boynton ask you for a date? Well, how could he, Mrs. Davis? I haven't asked him to yet. (laughs) But if I can straighten out Eddie Garson in a hurry, I might accidentally run into Mr. Boynton. I'm perfectly willing to meet him halfway. Of course, if his door opens outward, I'm liable to get a broken nose. (laughs) But I understand that Mr. Boynton likes to take his Sunday morning constitutional by himself. Well, that's what's nice about a constitutional. You can always amend it. (laughs) Coming. Miss Brooks. May I come in, Eddie? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Sit down, Miss Brooks. Thank you, Eddie. I'm glad to see you're not sick. I came over to find out why you haven't been in school all week. Well, frankly, Miss Brooks, I've been pretty busy. Oh, well, I guess I can go home now. You know, it's no joke trying to raise kids. Kids? But you're only 14 years old yourself. Well, that's what makes it so tough. Oh, well, I guess I can go home now. (laughs) I've been taking care of my kid brothers, Miss Brooks. You see, my father's on the road and my mother's in the hospital. Oh, I'm sorry, Eddie. Is there anything I can do to help? Oh, there sure is, Miss Brooks. Mom's over in the Clay City Hospital, and I'd like to hitch a ride out and see her today. If there was only someone to stay with the kids. Well... You will? Oh, gee, that's wonderful, Miss Brooks. Hey, Mike. (laughs) Hey, Mike. Hey, Daddy, will you come here? What do you want, Eddie? This is Miss Brooks. She's my English teacher at school. 
Oh. <laughs> I'm uh, glad to know you too, Mike. And this is Danny. Say hello to Miss Brooks, Danny. Hello. Uh -huh. Now, there won't be any trouble at all, Miss Brooks. In fact, they'll give you all the help you need. Help? Well, yeah, with Tommy, the baby. Help? <laughs> well, I'll be running along now. I'll be home in time for dinner. Thanks a million. So long. Well, here we are. <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. <laughs> well, you'll have to wait. <laughs> oh, on second thought, maybe you two other two better wait. <laughs> oh, quiet, baby. Nice, baby. Your mother will be home soon. Oh, dear. How did your mother keep him quiet? You gotta tell him a story. Yeah, you gotta tell him a story. All right, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time... <laughs> he heard that one. <laughs> He's pretty blasé for a child his age. Anyway, once there were three bears. You thought I'd tell him that old chestnut? <laughs> Give her a chance, Danny. She might put a switch on it. And so Snow White and the Prince lived happily ever after. I'm glad for him. I wonder why Eddie ain't home. You wonder why Eddie ain't home? Some English teacher. <laughs> You know, I never in my life hit a child, and this is the first time I ever wondered why. <laughs> Eddie should have been back by now, though. It's after seven. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. <laughs> well, I'll get you something to eat and drink in a minute. <laughs> Quiet, Tommy. Now, once there was a girl named Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, great. Whose father was a traveling salesman. <laughs> And the glass slipper fit right over Cinderella's foot. Ooh, well, thank goodness they're all asleep. Now, if I only knew where Eddie was. Oh, shh. Hello? Hello, Miss Brooks. Well, gee, I had a wonderful visit with my mother, thanks to you. Oh, I'm glad, Eddie, but where are you now? Well, I'm still in Clay City, Miss Brooks, with some friends and mothers. The doctor said she can go home tomorrow, and if you'll just stay with the kids overnight... Oh, but Eddie, I haven't got any... Uh... We're one of mother's. Well, gee, I... I sure appreciate this, Miss Brooks. I'll see you tomorrow. Oh, well, it's in a good cause. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Once there were three little pigs. Let's not bring personalities into this. I'm thirsty. Well, come on. Drop the other shoe. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> now, once there was a big giant. Oh, what a horrible night. Let's see now. I better see what's in the kitchen before hungry, thirsty, and screamy wake up. <laughs> Well, there's not a thing in the cupboards. I better call Mrs. Davis. If they'll only stay quiet for a few more minutes. Hello. Hello. 
Mrs. Davis. This is Connie. Connie, I've been worried sick. Where in the world have you been? I have no time to explain now, but I want you to do me a favor. When Walter Denton comes by to take me to school, send him over to 225 Park Street. 225 Park Street? Yes, Mrs. Davis, I can't make it to school today. But Connie... I'll tell you all about it when I see you. Hmm, this is mysterious. Not going to school on Monday morning. I'd better call Mr. Conklin. I'll just tell him that Connie is sick and... Hello? Hello. Is that you, Osgood? This is Mr. Conklin speaking. (laughs) This is Margaret Davis Osgood, and I just want to tell you that Miss Brooks won't be in school today. She doesn't feel well. Doesn't feel well? What's the matter with her? I really don't know, Osgood. I just know she's quite indisposed. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Mrs. Davis. You always get indisposed on Monday. (laughs) What's that, Osgood? Tell Miss Brooks to take care of herself. Goodbye. He didn't sound very concerned. If I were you, Connie, I wouldn't go in until I... Well, who am I talking to? She's not even home. What are we going to eat, Miss Brooks? As soon as I send one of my students to the store, Mike. You playing hooky today, Miss Brooks? I guess I'll have to until your brother Eddie comes home. Say, that reminds me. I'd better call Mr. Conklin. What will I tell him? I can't explain about Eddie on the phone. Besides, there's no proof of his story until his mother comes back. I wish you'd talk to us for a while. You're making me very nervous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Danny. I know what I'll do. I'll make believe I'm Mrs. Davis and tell him I'm sick. Hello? Hello, Mr. Conklin. This is Mrs. Davis. Margaret? Yes, I just wanted to tell you that Miss Brooks doesn't feel very well. What's the matter? Is she taking a turn for the worse? Who? Miss Brooks. Yes? Oh, well, that is, she's no worse than she's ever been. Have you had a doctor? Yes, but how did you know she was sick? You just told me a few minutes ago. I did? Oh, of course I did. Well, I'm, I'm terribly upset about this. Oh, now, for heaven's sake, Margaret, don't go to pieces. <laughs> oh, quiet, Margaret. I mean, Tommy. I mean, oh, I'll be all right. Uh, goodbye, Mr. Conklin. I wish my mother was here. I want my Starring Eve Arden will continue in just a moment. You're listening to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. And now back to Our Miss Brooks, where we find Walter Denton and Harriet Conklin listening to the radio in Walter's car. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes our newscast from our nation's capital. I think they're going to give another clue for the $18,000 contest on Sing It Again. Okay, Harriet. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is your extra clue to the Phantom Voice on the CBS Sing It Again program. At camp, his father was a king who spent some time at lumbering. Okay, Walter, you can turn it off now. Boy, I'd sure like to win those prizes. At camp, his father was a king. Uh, What was the second line, Harriet? The second line? 
da 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 Oh. <laughs> it was nice of you to give me a ride this morning, Walter. Oh, that's all right, Harriet. If I were the principal's daughter and you were me, you'd give me a ride if my father drove off to school early in the morning without me this morning, wouldn't you? <laughs> you mean the only reason you stopped for me is because of my father? Oh, of course, that's not what I mean. I, I thought you might want to ride over and pick up Miss Brooks with me. Mrs. Davis was pretty mysterious about her. Said she hadn't been home all night. Where did Mrs. Davis say Miss Brooks was, Walter? 225 Park Street. Park Street? Doesn't Mr. Boynton live on Park Street? Yeah, come to think of it, he does. <laughs> Walter, remember that picture we saw last week? The one called Her Other Life? Yeah, Harriet. Maybe Miss Brooks has another life. Who knows? She might even be secretly married. Miss Brooks? Married? To who? <laughs> Why to Mr. Boynton, of course I don't be silly, Harriet Mr. Boynton doesn't like girls He likes frogs <laughs> well, It's a wonder I didn't think of it before Why, they might even have a family by now That's just like a woman Always giving people families <laughs> Well, this is Park Street And there's Miss Brooks in front of that house Hiya, Miss Brooks here we are. Hello, Walter. Harriet, I'm glad you could... Harriet, I didn't know you'd be along. But now that you are, I've got to take you into my confidence. Harriet, can you keep a secret? Oh, certainly, Miss Brooks. Even from your father? Especially from my father. Oh, good. Then I don't want either of you to mention that you saw me here. You see, I told Mr. Conklin that I was sick, and... Well, I'll explain it all later, but right now you've got to go to the grocery store for me. But what is it you're going to explain later, Miss Brooks? That's the secret, Walter. Just take this list and this money and have them send these groceries out as soon as possible. The address is right on the bottom of the list. Well, okay, Miss Brooks, but there sure is something funny going on. Why, there's nothing funny about it at all, Walter. Good day, Miss Brooks, and, and give my regards to the children. Thank you, Harriet, I will. What? <laughs> Now, do you believe me, Walter? Look at this order we've just given. Four bottles of milk, one dozen cans of strained vegetables, two chocolate milkshake bars, a large box of pablum, and some swieback. That sure is suspicious, all right. Nobody eats swieback if they're not married. <laughs> Look who just came into the store, Walter. Oh, it's Mr. Boynton. Hiya, Mr. Boynton. Oh, it's Walter Denton and Harriet. How are you today? We're fine, Mr. Boynton. How are you all? Oh, well, as could be expected, we're anticipating a blessed event at any time now. <laughs> Another one? Oh, yes. Of course, Patricia has quite a big family now. She's even changing her name. Oh, yes. Patricia's one of my favorite frogs. Oh. <laughs> those, uh, those bundles look pretty heavy, Walter. Can I give you a hand with one of them? Oh, yeah, thanks, Mr. Boynton. We just bought them for Miss Brooks. Miss Brooks? Why didn't she come down herself? Well, she looked pretty upset when we saw her last, Mr. Boynton. Here, you better take both of these bundles and get right over there. Me? But get right over where? I guess you never heard of 225 Park Street. Park Street? I live on Park Street. Harriet, he says he lives on Park Street. <laughs> oh, come along, Walter. We'll be late for school. Don't worry, Mr. Boynton. Your secret is safe with us. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
And while Sleeping Beauty was waiting, Prince Charming came to her door. Come in, Prince. Uh, oh, it's the doorbell. <laughs> I guess you got carried away by the story. It should happen to me. <laughs> At last, the groceries. Uh, hello, Miss Brooks. And Mr. Boynton right behind them. Come in, won't you? He's a big one, ain't he? <laughs> ain't he? There she goes again. Uh, Miss Brooks, who, who are these... these... Uh... Children will do, high pockets. <laughs> oh, they're, they're terribly bright. Now, boys, run to the kitchen and play with the meat cleaver until lunch is ready. <laughs> All right. But please make it snappy, because I'm hungry. And I'm thirsty. Oh, did you have to turn that on? Oh, excuse me, Mr. Boynton. There, there, little baby. There, shh. Oh, I guess I'll have to pick him up. No. Uh, Miss Brooks, I don't want to pry, but where did all these children come from? Why, any biology teacher knows that. The stork. <laughs> I mean, whose are they? Well, they're the children of Eddie Garson, who's a student of mine's mother. <laughs> what? Which their father is a traveling salesman. <laughs> I'm afraid you're upset. Oh, well, of course I am. You'd be upset, too, if you had breakfast crying and three children cooking on the stove. <laughs> Well, isn't there anything I can do to help? Yes, there certainly is, Mr. Boyden. You can help me get this house tidied up before Eddie brings his mother home from the hospital. But, Miss Brooks, I've got to go to school. You're smart enough now. <laughs> In some ways. Call Mr. Conklin and tell him you're ill. But I'm, I'm not ill. Now, stick around a while. Your chances will improve. <laughs> well, I don't know what this is all about, Miss Brooks, but if you're in trouble... The... Well, the least I can do is stand by and lend a hand. Give that boy a box of merit badges and two tickets to the next Olympic game. Thank you. <laughs> no doubt you're wondering why I summoned you two to my office, Harriet. Well, yes, Mr. Conklin. We... I was speaking to my daughter. Harriet? Yes, Daddy. There's something strange going on in this school today. First, Mrs. Davis calls to tell me that Miss Brooks is sick. Twice. Then Mr. Boynton calls, tells me he won't be able to come to school today because he's expecting an illness. <laughs> and then, while I was conducting both their classes, I catch my own daughter receiving a note from this... this... Scallywag? <laughs> from this scallywag. Thank you, Denton. Hand over the note, Harriet. But... The note? That's better. Hmm. Dear Harriet, whatever you do, don't let the cat out of the bag about meeting you-know-who in the grocery store and sending him where we did. We don't want to get Miss You-know-who in trouble. After all, we have no proof that those little you-know-whos are her. <laughs> Nor are we positive that 225 Park Street is a love nest. You-know-who? Love nest? What's the meaning of this, Harriet? Well, oh, you wouldn't want me to betray a confidence, would you, Father? Yeah, you wouldn't want her to do that, would you, Father? Uh, Mr. Conklin? Quiet. I'll find out what's going on at 225 Park Street.
Well, Mr. Boynton, did you enjoy your lunch? Oh, yes, indeed, Miss Brooks. And you know something? Seeing you taking care of those children and then tucking them in for their nap after lunch made me feel that this is where you belong. Miss Brooks, did you ever think of giving up your career as a teacher? Why, Mr. Boynton... I mean it. I've been thinking it over all morning, and, well, I've got another sort of career in mind for you. You have? Yes, Miss Brooks, I have. Why don't you become a governess? (laughs) Oh. Well, I'll tell you what, Mr. Boynton. I'll become a governess when you become a governor. It's been fun trying to help you out this morning, Miss Brooks. I hope I have been of some assistance with the children. Oh, you've been a tremendous help, Mr. Boynton. They would never have gone to bed so quickly if you hadn't told them that fascinating story about the African tsetse fly. (laughs) It was nothing, really. Nothing, he said. It had everything. Humor, pathos, sleeping sickness. (laughs) Now, if you'll excuse me, I'd I'd like to wash the luncheon dishes. No, no, you sit right where you are, Miss Brooks. I'm going to do those luncheon dishes myself. Oh, but Mr. Boyd... No, no, I'll have them done in a jiffy. Picture you upon my knee. Just okay. for two and two and three. <laughs> me for you and you for me alone. Tom, Tom, ti tom, tom, ti tom, Oh, I hope that's Eddie and his mother. Be right there. We will raise a family, a boy for you, a girl for... Me! Oh! <laughs> Mr. Conklin! What's going on here, Miss Brooks? I was under the impression that you were sick. I was. I am. Oh, <laughs> uh, what a coincidence you're meeting me here at the doctor's. <laughs> Did you say the doctor's? <laughs> He's an obstetrician. <laughs> what? I don't think I helped my case any. <laughs> well, everything's all set, Miss Brooks. I just... Uh, Mr. Conklin! <laughs> Good afternoon, Mr. Boynton. I suppose you're here visiting the doctor, too. Oh, of course. He's expecting tadpoles. <laughs> it, it's, it's my sinuses, Mr. Conklin. Oh, well, you've certainly come to the right place for treatment. An obstetrician should do them a world of good. Now, see here, you two. I know this is no doctor's office. You know what I think? I think you two are secretly married, and this is your love nest. Love nest? Love nest? Love nest? Love nest? Who are these? What are... Where did they come from? Now, now, please, Mr. Conklin, remember your blood pressure. He turns an interesting color, doesn't he? (laughs) Now, see here, you little... I... I don't know what you are, or who you are, or... Oh, please. You're tight when I was silent pictures. <laughs> Get back in your room, you two. Sit down, Mr. Conklin. Take it easy. But, Miss Brooks, you promised us another story. Get back in your room, or I will kill you. <laughs> Come on, Mike. She's turned on us. Oh, now, please let me explain, Mr. Conklin. Very well, Miss Brooks. Everyone's entitled to a hearing before he's hanged. <laughs> That's what I like, an open mind. Now, you see, sir, Mr. Boynton and I were just taking care of these children until their mother comes back from the hospital. That's right, Mr. Conklin. It it was an emergency. Yes. It's all well and good, but why did you lie to me? Well, it would have been hard to explain on the phone, Mr. Conklin. And besides, I didn't want Eddie Garson to get in trouble. He's been absent all week taking care of his little brothers. A very touching story, Miss Brooks. I don't doubt that your motives were of the highest, but I can't run a school that way. Miss Brooks... Unless you're in your classroom for the afternoon session, you had better look elsewhere for employment. Oh, that must be Eddie now. I'll get it. Eddie, I thought you'd never get... 
Where's your mother? Well, she's paying the cab, Miss Brooks. She'll be right in. The doctor says she's fine. Oh, good. Then she'll be able to take care of her family again, and I can get back to school. Oh, oh no, you can't, Miss Brooks. We need you more than ever now. Look, in this blanket here, a brand new baby brother. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a governess named Connie Brooks. <laughs> Eve Arden as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment. But first... This is the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, I couldn't afford to lose my job at school, and yet I hated to leave Mrs. Garson in the lurch. So I did the only thing possible under the circumstances. I got somebody to help out in my place. Before I left for the afternoon sessions, I gave a few last-minute instructions. Uh, now, be sure the formula isn't too hot. And don't be stingy with the talcum powder. Any other questions? What should I do with the safety pins when they're not in use? <laughs> but with a baby this age, you won't have that problem. Goodbye, Mr. Conklin. Uh Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton was played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Tommy Cook, Sandra Gould, Bobby Ellis, and Jeff Silver. <laughs> Cavalcade of Kings. Richard Lionheart. As the cavalcade of kings rides on, a fierce figure brandishing a mighty battle axe and riding a wild-eyed steed approaches. Tis Richard the First, third son of Henry the Second, surnamed the Lionheart. He was born on September the 8th, 1157, at Oxford, but was reared among the knights of Point Two in Aquitaine, which duchy was inherited from his infamous mother, Eleanor. Richard was crowned King of England at Westminster on the 5th of July, 1189. On the day of his coronation, he issued a proclamation forbidding the Jews to appear at the ceremony. When, however, great numbers of them who had already assembled from all parts of the land bringing presents to show their respect for their new king, ventured down to Westminster Hall with their gifts. They were cordially received and their presents readily accepted. When our story opens, we find Richard at Westminster Hall together with his brother John and William de Longchamp, whom Richard had created Bishop of Ely. my brother, that a golden key can open any lock. Which have me deny my subjects the right to witness my coronation? Nay, brother, especially as they have paid for the privilege. I need all the gold I can lay my hands on. Crusading is not the business of a poor man. And I trust God will fill your coffers to overflowing, my son. 
to enable you to go forth and fight the faith. <laughs> and if he doesn't, the Jews will. <laughs> My son, I protest against your levity, which comes perilously near blasphemy. Spare me your hypocrisy, I pray you. Has forgotten that we've diced together, philandered together, I and lied together when you were plain William de Lanchon. Odd's blood, William. I never thought to see your beetle brow graced by a bishop's mitre. Oh, enough of your malicious tongue. Reminds me of the chattering of a monkey at mating time. You do not appreciate my wit, Richard. Wit is folly unless a wise man hath the keeping of it. Then you are neither witty nor wise, but a weathercock who swings round with the wind of the Jew's money bag. Meaning, John? Look ye out of the window. Well, what do you see? A vast crowd of my loyal subjects who await my appearance. Vanity indeed is the sixth sense. Nay, my brother, they await the Jews who are foregathered in the audience room. The Jews whom you forbade to appear at your coronation, but whose money bags caused your heart to relent. The money will be spent in the cause of justice. Is that why you put our late father's treasurer in chains and locked him in a dungeon from which he was not released until he had relinquished not only all the crown's treasure, but all his own money too? <laughs> justice. Truly, Richard the Lion-Hearted got the lion's share of the wealth of that wretched man. Hot blood, if you don't curb thy malicious tongue. I'll cast thee in a dungeon also. I would have excellent company, my brother, for all our old friends and supporters who fought with us against our father are now languishing in prison cells. They were rebels, my son, and as such deserve their punishment. Truly, your brother has shown great wisdom in protecting the land from such traitors. My brother could scarcely have done anything that would have been better instance of his real nature or a better warning to fathers and parasites not to trust in lion-hearted princes. <laughs> I've got the sound of that crowd. They seem to be in ugly mood. I wonder what has angered them. It would seem that the Jews are leaving Westminster Hall as lambs go to the slaughter. What do you mean? Speak little and to the purpose. I mean, my brother, that your people resent the appearance of your Jewish friends at Westminster Hall. Their delicate Christian feelings are outraged. They feel they're being contaminated, polluted by the foul nearness of the children of Israel. And at any moment, your gentle Christian subjects will set upon the Jews and then... Ah, me. If I were a holy man like Longchamp, I would say, God help them. Plague upon them? Do they seek to cause a riot beneath my very windows? Call the guards and have them disperse this troublesome rabble. And spoil a lively entertainment, not I. Rot your soul for the grinning devil that you are. Oh, pray don't brandish your mighty battle axe so close to my head. Thy neck is such a puny thing, and the head of your axe must weigh near to twenty pounds. I would not cheat the executioner of a task which no doubt will one day be his. Jerusalem the rabbi and some of his people are leaving the hall, my son, and I fear the crowd will do them harm. I must go down to them. But my son, you cannot go alone amongst that thieving mob. I will not be alone. My trusty axe will accompany me and cleave a path to safety for my Jewish subjects, whom I will defend to the death. But Richard failed to quell the rioters who slaughtered hundreds of Jews before their bloodlust was slaked. Shortly after, Richard raised an army and set out on his first crusade, going first to France to meet the king who was joining forces with him. Whilst in France, Richard met Baron Garia of Navarre, whom he afterwards married. We now find them walking in the gardens of her palace. 
Here, my sweet Berengaria. When Philip joins me with his troops, our army will number 100,000 men. A formidable host, Richard, that must surely cause Saladin to reflect. Oh, my blood boils when I think of the Mohammedan dogs setting up their mosques on the site once occupied by the temples of Solomon, Serubabel, and Herod. Would that I were a man. If you were, my sweet, I would be robbed of the sweetness of a woman's love. But God would have another holy night to bear the party cross of Christianity into the camp of the infidel. Where men and women are butchered in cold blood and where innocent children are dashed to death against the walls of the cities. The fiends. Oh, how could they? How could they? Oh, my darling, you're trembling like a leaf. We must have done with this talk of war, which is men's talk and not fit for the dainty ears, my sweet Berengaria. Oh, Richard, you are so kind and gentle with me. I bless the day your mother brought us together. So do I, my darling. I fell madly in love with you the moment I set eyes on you. I was rather afraid of you at first. Afraid? Why? Well, you looked like a fierce giant as you rode past at the head of your army on that wild-eyed horse of yours which reared and plunged with fury. And when you brandished your wicked-looking battle-axe, you know what I did? <laughs> no, my sweet. What did you do? I ran into my bedchamber and locked myself in. <laughs> I thought you would eat me. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not afraid of me now? Oh, no, Richard. I love you now. And I want you to go on loving me, always. I promise, my darling. God bless you, my dear. And now I shall have to leave you. When do you depart, Richard? Within three days, my beloved. Do you go straight to the Holy Land? No, we go to Messina and Sicily first to teach Tancred a lesson. Tancred? Yes, dear. Your sister, you see, my sister Joanna's husband, the King of Sicily, has recently died, and his uncle Tancred has usurped the crown, cast my sister into prison, and seized her estates. So I am journeying there to demand the restoration of her lands and to place her safely on the throne again. Perhaps when I have settled the affair to my satisfaction, my mother could bring you out to me. We could be married at Cyprus. Oh, Richard, that would be wonderful. Then tis agreed. Now, my beloved, I must join my troops. For if we are to meet Philip at our appointed time, we must march today. Kiss me, my darling. My dear. Now, farewell. Farewell, Richard. God be with thee till we meet again. <laughs> Then follow Richard's fruitless march on Jerusalem, his truce with Saladin, and his return to England. Later he declared war on Philip and landed in France. It is now April the 7th, 1199, and we find Richard besieging the castle of the Viscount of Limoges, whose messenger stands before him. Odds blood! So the master refuses to yield to me the treasure of ancient coins which he found on the ground of his castle? My master is willing to yield half of the treasure to thee, sire, which is your just claim, but he will not yield the whole of it. And who is he to dictate terms to his lord and master? Go ye back to him and tell him I will storm his castle and hang every man of its defenders on the battlements. <laughs> I have spoken with King Richard, and he demands that you yield up the old treasure to him. If not, he threatens to storm the castle and hang its defenders. A plague upon him for his greed, my lord. The king and his men have drawn up close to our walls. See, there is Richard now, standing alone like the figure of an outraged Vulcan. Ah, 
A good archer. Good. I never missed, my lord. Come, my trusty bow. Now I pray God, speed thee well, my arrow. Ah! Well done, Bertrand de Gourdon. Your arrow has found its mark. Our score with the lion art is settled. <laughs> behind us. But if you should try to make a run for it, I'd have to shoot to kill. Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875, the Carlton Hotel, headquarters of a man called Paladin. Fourteen, carry the one, not twelve. Um, Miss Wong. Will you sign me, Sir Paladin? Uh, Miss Wong. I'm leaving for Texas this afternoon, and before I go, I must check over these accounts. Now, cleaning the room seems to be an unusually noisy operation this morning. Oh, so sorry, Mr. Paladin. Yeah. Ah, uh, let's see. Fourteen. Miss Wong. Yes, sir, Mr. Paladin? It has been my observation that when a lady starts banging things around, she's usually brooding over some slight that generally has to do with some man. Is, um, is that the reason for all of this? Oh, no, sir. No? Mr. Paladin, no. Oh, uh, uh, Mr. Paladin? Oh, come in, hey, boy. Yes, sir. Mr. Paladin, you will excuse me, please? I will come back by and by and clean the room. Ooh. Seems to be a little coolness in the air, hey, boy. Oh, Missy Wong, very angry with hey, boy. Oh, it's too bad. Mm. Oh, Mr. Paladin, hey, boy has come to a most painful conclusion. What's that? Hey, boy does not understand women. Well, that takes a bit of doing. Yes, sir. It's most delicate matter for discussion, but, uh, uh, Mr. Paladin, perhaps you will give Hey Boy profound advice from your great wisdom concerning ladies? Mm. That'll take a little more time than I can spare right now, Hey Boy. I have business in El Paso, Texas. Oh. I'm leaving this afternoon. Um, uh, maybe when you come back? All right. When I get back, we'll have a little man to man talk. Oh, he's saw Mr. Paladin. A 
trip to southwest Texas always meant an opportunity for a visit with my old friend Captain Sam Jeffers of the Texas Rangers. So when I finished my business in El Paso, I took the trail to Company D Post, located a few miles east on the Mexican border. This was one of the toughest sections in the country where the lawmen had to deal with a ragtag of two nations. In spite of the seriousness of their work, I'd always found the post pretty casual. And it was a surprise when I came in the gate to find the place under full guard. I rode on through to Jeffers' office. Hello, Sam. Glad to see you. How are you, Sam? You've been hiring out your gun and good intentions to folks down Texas way here? Yeah, I had a little business in El Paso. Yeah, I'm mighty glad to see you. Sit down a minute while I get this stuff put away, then we're going down to my quarters and have a drink. Thank you. Look, look at this. Paperwork. Yeah. Believe me, a ranger job's getting pretty complicated in this man's country. Not like the old days, eh, Sam? I notice you have your men playing soldier out there. Oh, that's not for sure, Paladin. I got the men on 24-hour guard. Company D's got a bull by the tail. How's that? Know who we got in our jail? The Garcia brothers. The Garcias? The Mexican bandits? Dirtiest, rottenest, thievingest, murderingest pair that ever drew breath. Took us two years to catch them. Now we got to worry about how we're going to keep them. Trouble. <laughs> Folks over there in Juarez are pretty put out that those two polecats should suffer the indignities of being locked up. Words got to us they're planning a raid on the jail. Oh? Uh-huh. Well, do they stand a chance? Well, just Garcia's immediate male relatives, and every last one of them's a cutthroat. Well, they won't get away with it, but we're in for some fireworks. Well, I wish I could help. I wish you could, too, Paladin. I could use you. But I'm afraid this has to be a ranger's job. I guess that's it. Let's go get that drink. Yeah, I'm ready. Hey, Wade. You going over Fort Gilman way? I could, yes. Come to think of it. You sure could give me a hand if you'd be willing. Of course. What is it? Our border patrol picked up a fugitive trying to make it cross the line. One in Baltimore for murder. Gonna be another week or so before the U.S. Marshal can get out here to pick the prisoner up. Uh-huh. You know, and hold a prisoner over at Fort Gilman, well, that's a two-day ride, and I just can't spare a man right now. You want me to deliver the prisoner, is that it? I guess it's a little irregular. All the rules we work under now, but... It would help me out of a tight spot. Sure, Sam. I'd be glad to. Good. Come in. Captain? Yeah, Billy, what is it? Guerrilla outfits. We spotted them. Where? Along the border. Looks like they're getting ready to strike. Yeah, here we go. Billy, alert the men. Yes, sir. Paladin, this is going to set Texas hospitality back some, but I'm afraid we're going to have to forget that drink. And I'm going to have to send you on your way. Now, I know i got to get that present for Gil. Oh, I understand, Sam. What kind of a man is he? Do you figure he'll give me any trouble? Well, you see, Paladin, it ain't a man, it's a woman. A woman? Mighty handsome one, too. Seems a pity. Yeah, I have to see how things are moving out there. Uh, look in the top drawer of the desk, sir. You'll find the papers on the prisoner. Look them over if you want to. All right, sir. Top drawer. Mag... Magda Salvar. Maggie. Small world. 
This is the cold season. What do medical authorities say about the common cold? Doctors tell us there's no known drug which will cure a cold. There are effective medications for treating complications, accompanying or following a cold. If you've been taking sensible precautions and still have one cold after another, it's best to see your doctor. The name on the papers was Magda Salvar. And the memories it stirred went back several years. I figured I didn't have time to dwell on them or on the strange and uncomfortable coincidence. I had offered to do a job for Sam Jeffers, and that was that. When he gave me my final instructions, I didn't tell him that the prisoner he was entrusting to me was a woman I had known quite well some years ago in San Francisco. He had his problems, and it looked like I had mine. The horses were ready and waiting at the gate. As I walked toward them, I watched Magnus Salvar, sitting proud and erect in the saddle. She was as beautiful as ever. Hello, Paladin. Hello, Maggie. You see, darling, I don't fall from my horse with astonishment. I am prepared for you. The good captain was so nice to explain that a gentleman named Paladin was to be my escort. Surprised? Nothing surprises me anymore. I want you to know, Magda, I offered to do this for Captain Jeffers before I read your name on the papers. What did you think, darling, when you read Magda Salva? Did you say to yourself, oh, fate makes such strange jokes? Now, these things happen. I guess I don't question any longer. Well, we better get started. You ride ahead. No, no shackles, no handcuffs or chains. No need. There's nothing but miles of desert in every direction. You should try to make a run for it. I'd have to call for you to halt. And if you kept going, Maggie, I'd have to shoot to kill. I see. Darling, I believe you're serious. Don't try me. Come on, let's go. More coffee? Yes. Thank you. Oh, I'm tired. Ah, it was a rough ride. I'm sorry, Maggie, I was driving too hard. I don't know what I was trying to prove. You were acting like a schoolboy, but I understood. You did? Of course, darling. All of a sudden, you were remembering a long time ago, and how shall we say it? You looked around for Magda. Magda was not there. Mm. I guess you're right. That was quite a blow to my male ego. Of course it was. But really, you should be grateful to me. I did you a service to go away from you. Well, now, if you have finished with your coffee, I'll wash up the pans. Yeah, I better gather up some more firewood. You keep looking out that way. What this, do you expect to see? This close to the border, it pays to keep watch. Some of the Mexicans who live on the line get drunk on mescal and wander over this way looking for trouble. They'd knife us for the horses. How did you say, darling, this close to the border? There's a long walk that way. But don't get any ideas. I know. You would have to call for me to halt, and if I kept going, you would have to shoot, to kill. Why? Why? Why don't you let me go? Because I told Captain Jeffers I'd see that you got to Fort Gilman. Oh, darling, you... Always with your childish loyalties and rules to live by. If I can get across the border, there is someone who... 
Well, I will be taken care of. I can make a new start. Maggie. Maggie, I'm going to see that you get to Fort Gilman. Then my job is done. After that, if you want, I'll buy you the best lawyers you can find in the country to help you get a new start. <laughs> they will have to be awfully good, those lawyers. Because I am guilty. Oh, yes? Yes, I killed a man. His name was Stephen, and he was rotten. And he deserved killing. I see. But, darling, they will hang me, and I don't want to hang for killing Stephen. He was bad. Oh. <laughs> Maggie, you... Just let me take one of the horses while you look the other way. You can explain somehow. I can't do that. Why not? It, it, it won't matter to anyone, except that Magda will have a chance to live. Maggie. Paladin, please. Maggie, it's no use. I give up. Let's say I make a good try, huh, darling? Yes, let's leave it at that. We can... Wait a minute. Listen. The horses, there's somebody out there. Paladin. You stay back. Paladin, behind you! Huh? Hey! <laughs> Apúrate, sal de aquí enseguida. ¿Los encontramos arriba? Pues sí, espérame allá. Yo me ocuparé de este tipo. ¿Qué? Thank you for the horses, señor. No, no. Do not drop for your gun. This knife is at your throat. You see? No, no, you don't. Maggie! The rifle. By the saddlebag. Get the rifle, Maggie. Paladin? Oh, he hurt you with that knife, didn't he? Is it very bad? I'm... I'm afraid it is, Maggie. Mexican. He's dead. Good girl. <laughs> Good girl, yes. Oh, they won't hang me for killing him. He was just a poor, drunk Mexican. And they... Did they get away with our horses? Yes. Oh. Oh, oh Maggie. I, I can't seem to move. I guess you'll have... have to help me? You cannot move? No. Help me... Maggie. Paladin, I don't like what I must do. But I want another chance. And I'm going to take it. What, what are you talking about, Maggie? I decided I'm going for a long walk to the border. I see. I'm so very sorry, darling. But you understand how it is with Magda? Of course you do. Yes. Of course I do. You're listening to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. The night was long and full of pain. And I learned that it was better not to try to move, but just to lie still in the warm, sticky puddle. And not think. That was the most important thing. Not to think. With the daylight, it wasn't so lonely. There was the dead Mexican lying not far from me. And the birds, the three birds, that kept circling overhead. And of course, when the sun came up, the insects, the thousands of insects, 
Only by this time, it didn't matter. Nothing seemed to matter. I just knew that I was awfully tired. Baladin? Well, look who's here. Why'd you come back? You won't believe me. Tell me. Well, maybe out there, somewhere between here and the border, I said to myself, Magda, could it be that Paladin's way is right? Could it be that there are rules to live by? Maybe I said that to myself. Maybe you did. You see, always I have made my own rules. Uh-huh. Sometimes you have to. I've just made one. The throat, as pretty as yours, must not have a rope around it. We won't talk about that now. Maggie, that Mexican's knife was as poisonous as a rattlesnake. And the fever's catching up with me. I've got to talk while I can make some kind of sense. No, no, no. First I must build a fire to have hot water to wash your wound. No, no, wait. When Jeffers finds out we didn't make Fort Gilman, he'll send out a search party now. Listen to me, Maggie. Don't let them find you here. Take that long walk to the border. Give yourself that new start. Paladin, when the time comes, we will work out things for Magda. But right now we must take care of you. Maggie... Promise me. We'll see. Maggie? Don't worry, darling. Things always work out for Magda. You know that. Well, look who's finally got his eyes open. Looks like he's ready to join the fun again. (laughs) Hello, Sam. I guess this is where I say, where am I? You're in Company D's infirmary, and you've been here for three weeks. Mighty sick man. I don't seem to remember. No, you were unconscious when we brought you in. I tell you, when we found you stretched out there at that water hole, I thought you were a goner. Yeah? Didn't help any knowing that you got in that fix doing a favor for me. Say, how'd you make out with the Garcia brothers? We, uh, we don't talk about that around the post. (laughs) You mean you... Yeah, Humiliating, ain't it? Now, just supposing Company D had lost that woman prisoner, too. You mean you didn't? Why, no. You mean she was there when you found me? Sure. Let me tell you, Paladin, it was that little woman saved your life. Taking care of you the way she did out there. Mighty fine little woman. Seems a shame. Sam, what about her? Where is she? Now, look, Paladin, you just lie back here. Take it easy. Now, listen. You're a sick man. We brought her on back here. Where is she now? The U.S. Marshal showed up, and we released her to him. Marshal Green, it was. Nice fella. Fine-looking young man. Fine-looking young man, huh? And he and Maggie, uh, that is, the, the fugitives, started back to Baltimore? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, have you been notified that they arrived there? No, I haven't heard, but I, I figured they got her locked up by this time. Want to bet? Will travel. 
created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe, is produced and directed in Hollywood by Frank Paris and stars John Daner as Paladin, with Ben Wright as Hayboy and Virginia Gregg as Miss Wong. Tonight's story was specially written for Have Gun, Will Travel by Ann Dowd. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Don Diamond, and Lillian Bayef. This is Hugh Douglas inviting you to join us again next week. Have Gun, Will Travel. Sunday at 4 o'clock. We hope you can join us here on Sid Valley Radio.